Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. God can uh, use many different forms, many different mediums to create church, especially in culture today. And yet we never want to lose the personal aspect of church, the communal, the community part of it. And, and I think it's striking and it's more important now than ever before because of what's being lost in our culture. You know, it's interesting, like little kids, sometimes you, uh, you, you don't want what you actually need. If you set two plates of food in front of a child, one full of candy, one full of nutritious food, chances are they'll probably go for the candy. And and it's interesting, even as a culture, even in my own life, some of the things that I know cognitively, this probably isn't the best for me. And yet you find yourself drawn to it, drawn to spending more time on our devices than we should. I, I can find myself spending more time in front of the TV, especially during football season. Although there was some great games yesterday, so I just go on record with that. It's the struggle with it. And, and as a culture, we're seeing the impact of it, especially as it erodes this sense of community. And I'm not just talking about church analysis. I'm just talking cultural, sociological analysis. I was reading some of the articles around it. There's a book, Going Solo. I've not read the book, but some of the so- summary by sociologist Eric Kleinberg. And, and listen to some of his stats about our lives today. He says 32 million Americans live alone now. That's 28% of all households. In prosperous cities like San Francisco, Bay Area, prosperous cities, those numbers are even higher. Five million people in the United States between 18 and 34 live alone. That's 10 times higher than it was in 1950. The largest category of single people living alone are middle-aged people, ages 35 to 64. And and in world cities, this number goes up even more. In Paris, it's estimated about 60% of the people in other European cities. Uh, And it's not just those who live alone, even those who are families in a house are doing life alone. He described it in it, he said, those in large suburban homes often splinter into private rooms to be alone. The image of the modern family in a room together, each plugged into a separate reality, be it a smartphone, a computer, a video game, or a TV show, has become a cultural cliche because it's more and more the cultural reality. Uh, the Journal of Epidemiology, they study epidemics. One of the epidemics they are studying is the impact of social media on our consciousness and our well-being. That's interesting alone, that the, the journal that studies ec- epidemics is studying the impact socially on us. And, and they did one study where they just charted a group, about 5,000 people, and charted them for all other differences. And the time spent on Facebook and other apps with it actually had detrimental impact, especially on young people, teenagers who were impacted by it. They found those who spent more time on it had an increase in feelings of isolation, an increase in anxiety, and an increase in inadequacy. And they summarize it. Why would online social activity be so damaging to health and well-being? According to the researcher, it was replacing in-person interactions. What people really need is real friendships and real interactions. 
that there's a part of it, as great as a tool as they are, and hear me, this isn't just an old man get off my lawn rant. I'm not against all social media. I really am not. It's got great impact. We can use those tools. But again, they are great supplements. They're horrible substitutes. And unfortunately, we are using them as a substitute for the real. Real interaction. Real friendships. Real connection. In fact, listen to the words of Emily Smith. She writes this in The Atlantic. Again, this is secular magazine. She just said, today if you look across the landscape, we volunteer less. We entertain guests in our homes less often. We're getting married less. We're having fewer children. We have fewer and fewer close friends with whom we share the intimate details of our lives. We are denying our social nature and paying a price for it. Over the same period of time that social isolation has increased, our levels of happiness have gone down while rates of suicide and depression have multiplied. I mean, these are not disconnected facts, folks. The the more our social interaction goes down, the more our isolation, our anxiety, our suicide rates, all of these things, because at our very core, and, and I love the way she puts it, we're denying that we are social beings. And if anybody should embrace that, it should be those who believe we've been created by God because we were created in the image of a social God. By his very nature, he's relationship. He's always existed as a relationship between father, son, and spirit. And if we are people who've been created in that image, then then at a core level, one of our core needs is real relationship. And and one of the core functions that he did with his church, and I love his genius in it, is he recognized our greatest needs match his great plan. What he's accomplishing on this planet, he wants to accomplish through a collective people, not just individuals. And I think it's important that we stop, and and this week we really want to look at this, because in this individual culture, in this isolation culture, it is very easy for us to turn our spiritual experience and our spiritual relationship with God, everything about it just becomes an individual experience, and individually how I'm growing and my individual connection. And we do that, not just at a loss of how he designed it, but we do that at a loss of our greatest need. Look in the New Testament. I want to walk you through a few passages. I'd encourage you, you might want to study these later. later. But if you look at the church and the way the church is described, there's a number of metaphors that scripture uses to describe the church. A number of ways that it's likened. And no one captures all of it. And I'm not giving you all of them. If you you were doing a list of all the metaphors of the church, it'd be a a longer list than this. I want to give you the five biggest ones, though. And I want us to look at them together. First one, the church is described, we are a family. We are a family. If you look through scripture over and over again, it talks about the fact because we have a relationship with God the Father, in that moment, when you accept the free gift of salvation, the free gift of forgiveness that comes in Christ, he not only forgives you, he adopts you. God adopts you into his family, which is amazing. When you think of all the things he could have done, 
to actually love us enough to not only forgive us, invite us into his kingdom, and we come into the kingdom, walk into the front door as his kids in a relationship with him. Uh, look how 2 Corinthians chapter 6 puts it. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. I mean, we sang he's a good, good father. That's who he is. And again, I love this image for me. It really is so important in my life, having lost my father as a child and for God to express and invite me into that kind of relationship with, with him is unbelievable to me. But you know, I can turn this relationship into how this is how the verse reads for me. I will be a father to you and you shall be my son, period. Yeah, we don't need anything else in the verse. But that's not what he says. In fact, if you read the family verses over and over again, invariably he always uses plurals. You shall be my sons and daughters. See, here's the reality. I can turn my spiritual relationship with God into an only child relationship. And I love you guys, and I know you're brothers and sisters, but, you know, I'm his special son. And he really loves me. And I can make everything about me in it, what I like. See, the thing about siblings, man, if you grew up with siblings, it's hard. They push your buttons. Uh, one of my sons a while back he was invited over to a friend's house and the friend he was hanging out with was an only child and and they had a great time the next day I said man how'd it go and he goes dad it was awesome he has two gaming systems (laughs) xbox and playstation so we can play all the games and then we went to a movie and then after the movie we went to golf land and then after that we went out to dinner I was like wow you guys blew it out and then he stopped me, he looked up and he goes, why did you and mom have so many kids? <laughs> I said, what? He goes, I wish I was an only child. I said, well, I need to break it to you, bud. But I mean, if we had stopped at one, you wouldn't exist. <laughs> Better be glad you made it into the roster here. Now, I understand what he's saying. As much as I tried to convince him the rest of that day that you're going to appreciate your siblings and the things that they had in your life, he wasn't seeing it that way. And, and it's easy for me to see it in that context. But you know, I can create the same scenario in my church life, in my spiritual life. That everything I think about, everything I pray about, everything I do, at the end of the day, it's really about me. And, and yet God has called us into a family with siblings. And siblings don't always agree. And siblings get on each other's nerves. And siblings cost something of you, your time and sometimes your money. But we're family. Isn't it interesting, even when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray collectively, not individually. I don't pray to him, my father who art in heaven. Give us this day my daily bread. Forgive us my debts. I don't even just own just my sins. What did he say? He says, it's our father. Give us this day our daily bread. So who else is in need that I'm praying for? 
Forgive us our debts, not just what I did, but what do we need to own together? See, church by design, being the family of God, always calls us outside of ourselves. And we can never lose sight of that. Let me give you the, the second metaphor. We are a building or a temple. You, you read through it, it's used several times. The, the building, the foundation, or we're the temple, individually temples of God, but also collectively the temple of God. Uh, read with me in Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're that family of God together. Now he switches his metaphor here immediately though, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul gives this image now. He says, you're not just the people in the house. You're the structure itself. You are the temple. You are this presence with that. And if you read through the New Testament, it's always built on the fact that, that there's generations that went before you. None of us arrived and we were it. In fact, the most important part of any building is the foundation. And especially one that's built with a cornerstone. And so he always points back to the fact that it all starts with Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. And then in that foundation, you have the apostles and the prophets, that generation that was given, through whom that we have the Bible itself, uh, through whom the foundation of the church was laid. And then on top of that, you've had evangelists and pastors and teachers and the generations after generations that build on top of it. And again, it's this great picture, I think, to realize that I'm a part of something that's bigger than me. And by the way, I'm part of something that's gone on a long time before I ever showed up on the scene. I, I say that for the big C church universal, but I also say that for any individual church. It's important here at Venture to recognize everything we do is because somebody before us was willing to sacrifice. Somebody before us built on that foundation and as it built over time, they, they hand it off to us and we have a responsibility. How are we building? And then how are we investing in the next generation in that? You know, I told you a couple of weeks ago about this group they identified as resilient disciples, young people who are really resiliently pursuing God in their faith. And one of the marks as they surveyed them that was unique about them is these young people and young adults would say, that they had intergenerational relationships in the church. Here's what that meant. Somebody older in the church had discipled them. Somebody older in their faith had invested in their life. It's one of the key factors that really made the difference between somebody that was just kind of nomadic and somebody that was really resilient in it. And I think it speaks to us as a church that all of us, we as leaders of the church, we need to be looking, okay, how are we helping the older generation invest down? Let me just say individually, where are you discipling down? Who, who's younger than you that you can invest in? Who, who are you investing your life in? We, we have children's ministry happening right now. You know what we're building the children's ministry around? Discipleship relationships. Not just big group activity, but small groups where adults can invest in the life of our kids. 
Adults can invest in the life of our young people in student ministry. Adults can invest in a younger couple in their marriage. Those who are a little bit behind you. You look at somebody at your workplace that you go, how am I investing down? Because it's very easy for the generations to get split that the younger generation kind of goes, oh, those guys don't understand what we're experiencing. And it's easy as an older generation to kind of look at it and go, well, they just don't appreciate us anymore. Here's what I would just challenge. What are you doing about it? What are you doing? And I would challenge you specifically as empty nesters. If you're an empty nester and you go, oh, I served my time in children. I did that. I'm kind of past that. You are in the prime season of your life to actually start giving the wisdom that was hard earned in your life into somebody else's. If you did nothing else but help them not make the same dumb mistakes you did, that would be a huge gift. But you may not look at it that way. You go, oh man, Tim, I just made so many mistakes. Great. Come alongside somebody else. Why do I say that? Because we're part of something bigger than us. We're part of a family, part of a building. The third image he uses, we are a body. We are a body. This one's a lot in the New Testament. We're a physical body. We're, we're made up of all these different parts in it. And in that body, you can look how he puts it. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Uh, the, the imagery of the body, it, it, it really, 1 Corinthians 12, he really goes into detail with it. He talks about some, some parts of the body are very visible and seen. Some parts are lifted up. All parts are valuable in the body. They, they each have a little bit different form and function. And, and in that, they work together. And, and the church, it, it told you a couple weeks ago, church is this unique thing. It's not only an organization, but it's also an organism that works together because the Holy Spirit has linked us. Now, as, as we say that, you could do a whole sermon series on the body. I'll just comment on a couple of things. I think it's important for us as we think about church to not just think about little C church, our church. Think about the big C church. That God has gifted the church. One of the questions people have is, why are there so many different churches? I mean, if God is right and, and you guys are true, why do you have high church and low church and some do this style and some do that style? And, and we can look at it and go, should we all be exactly the same? Or maybe step back and go, wait, what if this is the expression of the body of Christ, especially across the city and across an area? That right now, this morning, there's all different churches who are rallying around the same truth of God's word, rallying around the same truth that we believe in Christ but the expression is so different. In our city right now, there's some churches, I call them hand churches. They are very active in their outreach into the city in, in mercy ministries and what they do. That's the mark of their church. Some churches are mouth churches. They're great teaching churches. And you go there and man, they, they really teach. Maybe not as strong in those ministries, but great in teaching. Some churches are feet churches. They're sending people all over the world. Some churches are heart churches. Man, they worship. You just come in and you go, whoa. Now, do we all want to grow in all those things? Absolutely. But I love how God uses the different parts and the different members to reach a whole area. And, and it's why 
we as a church always want to be in partnership with other churches. Guys, we're not competing with them. They're part of the body too. And we need those churches. That's why once a month I meet with pastors from our city so we can pray for each other and help churches that are struggling and help in different ways. Because we want to be a part of that body. What's true in our city is also true in this place. Your gifts are needed in this place. There's not one invaluable part of this body. And if God has united you here with us, we need you. We need your gifts. We need your passions. We need what you uniquely bring to this church. One final thing I'd say with the body, and and you just need to recognize, every time that he talks about the body, he describes it in terms, that's how we actually grow. And I would just go on record saying, when you are not in the body, with the body, connected to the church, you stop growing. Now, you can grow in some ways of online and you're, you can listen to sermons and you can kind of craft your own spiritual life out there, but you will stop effectively growing if you're not part of the body. And, and I say that because that's how he designed it. Fourth thing, we are a flock. We are a flock. We don't always like this image because that means we are sheep. But part of it is he recognizes, he says, hey, this body, this collection of people, it needs some leadership. And Jesus is our chief shepherd. He leads us. He lays down his life for us. But he also says to the church, it's it's interesting, Peter describes as he's writing to the elders what their leadership should look like. The leaders of the church, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So you have to give some leadership, oversight there. Uh, It's not like the sheep just scatter or will go any direction. He says, somebody's got to step forward and you guys have been commissioned to give oversight. Now don't do it under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain. You're not trying to make a bunch of money off of it, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. I think this is one of the reasons that people have had a lot of bad experience with church. Because as leaders, it's easy to domineer at times. Instead of leading from among, but being examples to the flock. And then he says, unless you forget, you guys are just under shepherds. When the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. So so a part of this body is there does need to be leadership. There does need to be oversight. We are an organism. We're a body, but we're also an organization. And, And he looks to the shepherds, the elders, and he says, you're supposed to shepherd the flock. Lead in a way that you don't dominate. You don't use power. That's how the world leads organizations, from a power down. You're supposed to lead from among and shepherd the flock of God. Final image do you see in this is we are his bride. We are his bride. And and this mystery that he describes of how marriage is like the church and that Jesus calls the church the bride and he is the bridegroom. In fact, I I love how he puts it in Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 5. He's writing to husbands. And he's challenging us to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And and look how he puts it. He says, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, that he might clean her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, if you read in the book of Revelation, that will come at the end. When Jesus is the bridegroom, shows up and claims his bride. In their culture, that's what a wedding was like. The bridegroom literally came to the home of the bride and he claimed her as his own. And in Revelation, we got this great picture that Jesus as the bridegroom will come one day and he's coming to claim his church. He's coming to claim all of those. And in this interesting picture, there's a part of this I love. Because we always picture the wedding. There's the bride and she's so beautiful and she's got the white dress on. And she's, she, I mean, it's probably the best presentation. The reality is we didn't have the opportunity. We didn't have the ability to even clean ourselves up. And, and left to ourselves, we are literally, scripture describes us as filthy with filthy rags on. Jesus loved us so much that, that instead of coming and going, oh, that's not the bride I wanted, he actually moves toward it. He moves toward us. He said, let me clean you. Let me clothe you. Let me make you the bride that you should be. And as I go through this, and then I will claim you. The one who did it in us is also the one who will claim us. And there's, a, there's this beautiful picture in scripture. If you read through this imagery, when he talks about his fervent love for his bride, his church. When he talks about what she means to him. And, and I would just challenge all of us, because sometimes when we talk about the church and the problems of the church, I think there's a place for honest assessment and hopefully you've been hearing that, that, that we go, yeah, we, we have to face where we've not lived up to what he's called us to be. But, but I would be very careful before you just attack the church. Before you just say words that you go, man, I, I'm just going to attack the church as is. And I'm not talking about any one church. I'm talking about the church. And, and the reason I say that, the church is his bride. I, I'm going to just tell you, you attack my bride you say things about my bride, we're going to have words. We just are. If you said to me, oh, no, Tim, Tim, I love you. I just can't stand your wife. I would look at you and go, you don't love me. Don't, don't say you love me. My life is so aligned with her. You either don't know me or, or you've created something that you think I'm supposed to be. And I think we have to be careful as well. That it's real easy in the culture today. Oh, I love Jesus. I just hate church. And Jesus looks at him and goes, wait a second. I died for her. I gave my life for her. I've committed everything to her. I'm coming back to claim her. Guys, if Jesus hasn't given up on her, who are we to suddenly make pronouncements? As you look at each of these images, let me give you just a few implications for today. A few implications, and, and the, the key one that I hope you've been hearing all the way through with this, none of these can be done in isolation. They all require connection and community. None of these can be done in isolation. You, you can't do any of the images alone. A family 
He says out of the gate, we're siblings. The bride, there's only one bride. Jesus is not a polygamist. He's only claiming one bride with it. The temple, you're either a part of the temple. You remove part of a building. If you take one brick out of a temple, man, it it suddenly went from being part of something that's big and majestic to a brick. That's what happens when we separate ourselves from what is good and what God is doing. A flock. What do you call a sheep that's away from the flock? Lost. That's what Jesus called it. In fact, he had a whole parable about it. Remember that? He said, there's 99 and there's one over here. Now notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't go, yeah, there were 99 and then there was one sheep that was alone. But you know, it was okay. It was just a season in the sheep's life. He needed some time alone. He, he, he had been part of a small group of sheep and they had not been good to him. And so, you know, he didn't really like the grass they were eating over here. And, and he found he could find better grass on his own out there. He, he felt like the flock had really been getting institutionalized. I mean, doing everything the shepherd wants. And so he wanted to go and be on his own. It was okay. It was okay to have a season like that. Does Jesus talk that way? Now, Jesus goes, it's lost. This is a desperate situation. So much so, he goes, but I am a good shepherd. I don't let people stay lost. I go and I find them. But when he finds them, what does he do? He brings them back to the flock. Because this is where you need to be. If you're going to be a part of the temple of God, if you're going to be part of the family of God, if you're going to be part of the flock, if you're going to be part of the body, think about a body. I mean, if you take any part of the body and separate it from the body, how would you describe that? Gross. (laughs) Literally. I mean, if you took my finger, it's awesome here. Cut it off, put it on the ground right now. Not so awesome. We don't even want to look at it. And if I cut my finger off, would the paramedics run in and go, oh, you cut it off? We got a little time. Let's let it sit. No, they would go, this is a desperate situation. Time is short. Because the reality in a body, if you get cut off from a body, you know what they call it? They call it dying. It's not growing or living. It's actually dying. See, I I think we lose sight of this and and, and we let an individualization of our culture and an isolation of our culture kind of drift into church that we try to create a solo spirituality in it. And we're losing the fact that all throughout scripture, all throughout God's design, he designed it together. And and it's easy because you might look at your life and you go, oh yeah, but I I can succeed so much more if I'm not bogged down with all of this. And yet it's a false illusion. Wendell Berry describes, he was in the Midwest, there's a plant there, the Maximilian sunflower. These plants, they grow to about 10 feet tall, huge blossoms on them. And yet by design, the way these plants flourish best is when they are right next to each other. They share together. And he was walking along and he pointed out this one Maximilian sunflower that was by itself. And it was huge, it was 10 feet tall. And the blossoms on it were massive. That 
If you just stood back, you'd go, oh, well, that one's succeeding more than this group. And part of it, you go, yeah, I can see why. It's got the soil to itself. It's got the sun to itself. But that's the problem. When you get up closer, the weight of the blossoms were actually breaking the branches. Some of the nutrients that should have been shared are not there. It's this deceiving picture that life alone, actually I can flourish more. And in fact, I can't get bogged down with that so that I can flourish, not realizing it's killing. And I think we're doing the same. I think in the busyness of our life and our pursuit in life and the things we're trying to do in life and we just don't have time to be slowed down and you can look at some metrics and you'd go, oh man, I am flourishing. But if you look at the roots and you look at the branches and you look at the life, you look at the studies, this is what the anxiety is telling us, folks. This is what, what the, the increase of isolation is telling us. It's not flourishing. And God knows that and he knows us. And that's why I love, if you look at the second point in this, I love that, the, that God designed the church to be the place where our deepest needs meet his greatest plan. He, he had a plan for reclaiming this planet for his kingdom, and he set up his plan in a way that it actually meets our deepest needs. It meets our deepest needs spiritually as Jesus came and he died on a cross for us so that I could have a relationship with God. It meets our needs socially so that I know I can't do life alone. I need to belong to someone. I need people to know me and love me. And he goes, yeah, that's why I did this collectively. It meets our need for purpose, that my life has meaning, that I know why I am here, that I recognize that all of it is a part of his kingdom. All of it is a part of being the church together. Church is not just what we do on street corners and on Sunday mornings. Church is what we do seven days a week as the people of God, connected together as the family of God, as the temple of God, as the flock of God, as this, this body that spreads across this planet connected through his Holy Spirit. What he designed is actually what I need. And, and we should look at it and step back from it and go, am I setting up my own life in a way that is keeping me from that? that there's a part of the way we're moving as a culture. When I look at those studies and all that, part of it's just kind of crazy. I'm reminded of the story Haddon Robinson says. He, he went uh, touring an institute for the criminally insane. And went in, and there was one place there was about 100 prisoners that were there, and only a couple of guards. And he said at the time, he goes, aren't you worried they're going to actually unite and, and overthrow you? And the guy taking him around says, oh, you don't have to worry about that here. The insane never unite. It's part of the sickness. They just pull apart. There's a part of it, I look at that and I go, is there a collective insanity that's kind of hitting us as a people as we keep pulling apart more and more? And could church be the place that connects all that? Final thing I want you to leave with, because it's so important. Everything we talked about only works because of one person, Jesus. Final thing you see from all these images, the church is absolutely dependent on Jesus. No Jesus, no church. 
No Jesus, no church. The only reason we're the family of God is because the rightful son of God was willing to share all that was his with us and invite us into the family and actually provide the way with his death on the cross. The the only reason we're the flock of God is because he's the good shepherd. The only reason we're the temple of God is because he's the cornerstone. The only reason we're the body is because he's the head. The only reason we are a bride (laughs) is because he's the bridegroom. All of it goes back to Jesus. And and I want to encourage you. Some of you here, you've never begun that real relationship with Christ. You've never received the forgiveness. You've never been adopted in God's family. So everything we're talking about, it's kind of interesting, but you don't experience it until you take that step through Christ. Some of you, you have a relationship with Christ but you keep trying to pull it so that you and Jesus can go do life alone somewhere. And I don't really need anybody else and I don't need church. And I hate to break it to you, Jesus won't let you. He's a good shepherd who goes and gets sheep like that. He's the cornerstone, he never leaves the building. He's the head of the body, he stays connected there. And he knows the deepest needs of your heart which is actually to have community like this. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.